Boy, I tell you, there's a lot of talent up here tonight. Those guys were sounding really good. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture tonight out of John chapter 1. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them... He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. One of our favorite things to do, in fact, we're going to do it after the second service tonight, is to go through neighborhoods and look at all of the lights. Because traditionally, at least in our country, lights have become symbolic of Christmas. We put lights on trees, we hang them on front of homes, We have a dark room tonight with candle lights. We have lights behind us. And that's a very significant part of Christmas because it goes way back to the 14th to the 16th century in Germany when they started putting trees and homes and lights on them. This is how it started. In the 14th century in West Germany, there was a tree called the Paradise Tree that some German families would put into their homes on Christmas Eve. It was called the Paradise Tree because of a medieval play that was conducted annually commemorating the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. And since December 24th was regarded as the feast of Adam and Eve, people would go to this play and in the play was the Tree of Life depicted as a fir tree, after all it was Germany, a fir tree with apples hanging from it. And so people put trees with apples in their homes, Later on, it was changed to wafers on the tree because wafer commemorated the Eucharist. Later on, cookies were put on the tree. And later on, lights in the form of candles, not plug-in lights, obviously, were placed on the tree. It was Martin Luther who, in the 16th century, decided to put the Christmas tree in his home. And he put a fir tree, a pine tree, little candles with wax catchers underneath it on the trees and gathered his children, his family around and pointed at the tree saying, as Jesus is the light of the world, come to dispel the darkness of this world so this tree commemorates that. Then in other parts of Europe, principally Spain, little bonfires on the way to the churches were placed known as luminarias. That's where the custom comes from. All depicting that Jesus Christ, as we read here, is the light of the world. You know, one of the the best ways to view lights, at least on a tree or in candles like we have here, is to turn out all the ambient light because then they just stand out so brightly. My family and I, we live up in the mountains and it's uh, about 7,800 feet in elevation. And away from the city lights at that altitude, the stars look like these lights. I mean, they just go off at night. 
And that's sort of the idea, is that in the darkest place, the light is most easily seen. Here's the prediction out of the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 9, the people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. Here is Isaiah, a prophet, looking forward prophetically through the mist of time to an era when God would send the answer to all of the hopes, all of the fears that would be met in one person to solve the issues of the darkness of this world. And that, when he was born, is what one of the people in the temple named Simeon said as that little child was brought in and Simeon grabbed, gently grabbed the baby Jesus in his arms. He said, Now your servant can depart in peace, O Lord, for my eyes have seen your salvation and a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now we read several verses. There's one principal verse I want you to listen to again. Concerning Jesus, it says, That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Four brief things about this light, this person, Jesus the light. First of all, this light was reliable. He's called the true light. Which implies that if He is the true light, that there must be false lights around. And that is the case. So many different systems, different religions, different practices, several ideologies promise a level of enlightenment, satisfaction. John said this was the true light. History is a dark record where generation after generation after generation we have essentially unchanged human nature, sinful human nature. Oh, I know we've had the dark ages, then the period of enlightenment. But actually every period of humanity has been a dark age that needs the light, the true light of God. Now, not everybody agrees with that, obviously. For instance, humanism is blindly optimistic and says, well, we're getting better. Better than what? Better than when? You know, the beginning of the 1900s, our country was very optimistic in the sense that we thought, we're going to bring in a utopia. The golden age is right around the corner. And humanism that was really taking off in this country talked about social and moral evolution. We're getting better and better and better. Well, what happened to that way of thinking? Well, World War I happened to it, and then World War II happened to it. But after World War II, our country rallied once again, and we thought, well, you know what? We're, we're done with that. We're over with that. We're going to bring now in the Golden Age once again. But then the Korean War happened, and then Vietnam happened, and then Watergate happened, and then the nuclear age developed, then the AIDS crisis hit, and on and on it goes, the unfolding of human history. But this was the true light. Are we getting better? Well, are we more enlightened? 
Actually, there have been more victims of war in the 20th century, just this last century, that we have concluded. More victims of war than all of the other centuries combined. It's estimated that a murder in our country happens once every few minutes and that the American citizen, the average Joe American citizen, you and I, each of us has a 1 in 150 chance of being murdered. It's higher than ever before. If I were to paint a picture of world history, and it's good that I I don't because I'm really not a good artist, but this is how I do it. I take a, a bucket of black paint and I get a canvas and I dump the black paint and smear the entire canvas of the, the darkest paint I could find and I hold it up. And then maybe in one little corner with a, a, the brightest white I could find, I'd have just a little stream of white light that infiltrates it and then goes and covers toward the bottom of the canvas. Representing the darkness of our past, the darkness of human history, but the bright light, Jesus Christ, that shines in the midst of it. I think like most Americans, I was looking for enlightenment. I was looking for enlightenment in in wherever I could find it. Religion, my religion, the one I grew up in. Drugs. I remember an LSD trip that I was on. This was a long time ago. This wasn't recently. You don't have to worry. (laughs) where I saw bright lights coming out of the heaven and shining on me. And I thought, oh, this is it. Enlightenment has come. No, it was just a bad trip. The next day I woke up and looked in the mirror and saw worms crawling out of my face. No enlightenment in that. And then I tried things like spiritism, astral projection, reincarnation ideas, the idea that we have past lives and... I was down in Mexico and I was praying to the spirits of the past to enlighten me about who I really was. And all that did is breed a level of fear that dominated my life because they predicted my death in the next couple of weeks. And and so many options, so many ways, avenues that promote and promise a level of enlightenment. Now, I'm pretty convinced that I'm talking to a whole lot of people here tonight. You're here, you've been invited by a friend, you've come out once, twice a year, it's the Christmas thing, you want to get into the spirit. But I don't think that you're interested in a wild goose chase. I don't think you're interested in just uh, several options to try only to find out they don't work. And so what we're proclaiming to you quite boldly is that Jesus Christ alone is the true, authentic light that you need. Listen to his own words. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So this light is Reliable. You can count on Him. The second thing that John says here is this light is available. Notice that it says, That was the true life, light which gives light to every man coming into the world. 
Now, a better translation, in fact, the most accurate, the most literal would be this. That was the true light which, coming into the world, gives light to every man. In other words, what he is referring to is the incarnation, the coming of God in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. He came. He made himself available. You see, God didn't just shine a big light from heaven and say, you're all a bunch of wicked sinners. Nor did he send angels flying through the heaven with PA systems giving a message. The light from heaven came and appeared and walked among us. He showed up. He made himself available by coming himself. Question, why? Why did the true light have to leave heaven and come in the form of a man and walk this earth? For two reasons. Reason number one, to show the world just how dark it is. You know, before Jesus came, the world had a relative goodness, a relative self-righteousness. You could walk around smugly saying, well, I'm a very good person, I'm a very religious person. And they did that. In fact, when Jesus showed up on the scene, the nation of Israel was replete with that kind of thinking. But then Jesus showed up. And by what he said and what he did, he was so other than everyone else, so perfect, so unique, that he really showed the world how dark it was. It showed everybody else up. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, same book, If I had not come and spoken to them, the world, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and they have hated both me and my Father. And so the true light came into the world, made himself available, number one, to show the world how dark it was. Number two, not just to do that, but to lead the dark world out of its darkness and into the light. I have a flashlight right by the door at my house because at night when I take the puppies out to do their dog thing, it's dark out there. There's no street lights. I need a flashlight. I don't take a flashlight out in the middle of the day for obvious reasons. The sun's there. But when it's dark, it is the light that leads the path and eventually leads myself and my two puppies out of the darkness back into the house. And that's the purpose of the light coming. It's not just to say, look how light I am and how dark in sin you are, world, but to lead the world out of darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, which implies the world needs an outside source of light to manage to get out of the darkness. It can't do it on its own. It doesn't have any light of its own. And so Jesus said, I and I alone actually, is how it's worded in the original, and the light of the world. So, God came to fix us. Jesus came to fix us. One of my favorite stories is a story about a Model T Ford in the early days of the automobile that was broken down by the side of the road, and the fellow who owned the car was out there trying to hand crank it, and it wouldn't start, and he tried to advance the spark plug, and it wouldn't start, and eventually... uh, chauffeur-driven limousine pulled up 
And a well-dressed man stepped out and said, Hey, can I help you? And the guy looked at him like, Well, what could you do? And, and the well-dressed man tinkered around with it and said, Now try it. Started right up. And he introduced himself, of course, as Henry Ford. He said, I invented this thing. I know how to make it work, and I know how to fix it when something goes wrong. And I would say that God would say that about us. I invented them, I made them, and I know how to fix them when something goes wrong. I am the light of the world. Come to bring us out of the darkness. The third thing is that this light is helpful. It's helpful. He's reliable, he's available, he's helpful. Listen to what it says. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. In other words, God has planted a level of knowledge, a level of enlightenment about Himself in every person who's ever born. He's given us general revelation through creation and through conscience. There's this imprinted thing in our conscience that makes us believe that there is a God out there. If that weren't true, you'd never ask the question, is there a God? What's the purpose and meaning of life? What's the real deep issues of life? You'd never ask those questions. But God planted that in the conscience, in the heart of every single person. He put His moral law in every person. This is what Paul said, Romans chapter 1. The truth about God is known to them instinctively God has put this knowledge in their hearts. And folks, that's why, and I know you've noticed it, it's so easy for little children to believe in God. They just naturally believe in God. And you tell them about God and they'll trust. They'll believe with all of their heart. I heard about a lie detector test in Atlanta, Georgia about 10 years ago. They asked several people, do you believe in God? And the Some of the people said, no, and the lie detector test said, liar. (laughs) It just didn't register. There's something there in the fiber, the fabric of mankind. So this light is reliable. This light is available. This light is helpful. And fourth and finally, and this is where we close, this light is vital. Vital. For John goes on and he said, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. He was in the world. The world was made through him, and the world did not know him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now listen to this. This is Jesus speaking in the third chapter, a couple chapters later. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. He who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light 
that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Here's the bottom basic line. There seems to be two responses to the light. God's light, Christ. Rejection, reception. Some reject, some do not believe. He was in the world, he made the world, he came into his own, they didn't receive him. But some did, and as many as did, God gave them the right, the power, to become children of God. Some receive, some reject. Why do they reject? Well, because you know what it's like in a dark room when when your eyes grow accustomed to the darkness around you and the pupils dilate and get really big. And pretty soon the rods and the cones are all adjusted to that low level of light. It's dark and it's comfortable. And then somebody switches on the overhead. It's like, oh, turn that thing off. I long for the darkness because I've grown accustomed to it. But others will come in faith to the light. Years ago, there was a rich Chinese businessman who um, came to America. Somebody showed him a microscope, and he loved looking at the crystals and the flower petals and just that that microscopic world that was so alive to him, he was fascinated. So he bought one, took it back home to China, but he did something he probably shouldn't have. He took his favorite food, rice, and put it under the microscope. And he was aghast to discover these bugs at a microscopic level crawling all over his food. And it absolutely angered him. So did he change his diet? No, are you kidding? He loved rice. He smashed the microscope. (laughs) Jesus sort of said the same thing, didn't he? Neither will they come to the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. So some will receive, some will reject. What will you do tonight? What have you done as a lifestyle up to this point? Is Jesus a once a year, twice a year Thing or is he a living person that you have a living relationship with? I'm going to close with this illustration before we sing. Long ago, or maybe not so long ago, there was a tribe in a cold, dark cavern. The cave dwellers would huddle together and cry against the chill. Long and loud they wailed. It was all that they did. It was all they knew how to do. The sounds in the cave were mournful, but the people didn't know it, for they had never known joy. The spirit in the cave was death-like, but the people didn't know it, for they had never known life. But then one day they heard a different voice. I have heard your cries, it announced. I have felt your chill. I have seen your darkness. I have come to help. The cave people grew quiet. They had never heard this voice. Hope sounded strange to their ears. How can we know you've come to help? Trust me, he answered. I have what you need. The cave people peered through the darkness at the figure of the stranger. He was stacking something and then stooping and stacking more. What are you doing? one cried nervously. The stranger didn't answer. What are you making? One shouted even louder. Still no response. Tell us, demanded a third. The visitor stood and spoke in the direction of the voices. I have what you need. 
The cave people turned away in fear. Put it out, they cried. It hurts to see it. Light always hurts before it helps, he answered. Step closer, the pain will soon pass. Not I, declared one. Nor I, agreed a second. Only a fool would risk exposing his eyes to such light. The stranger stood next to the fire. Well, would you prefer your darkness? Would you prefer the cold? Don't consult your fears. Take a step of faith. For a long time, no one spoke. The people hovered in groups, covering their eyes. The fire builder stood next to the fire. It's warm here, he invited. He's right. One from behind him announced, It is warmer. The stranger turned and saw a figure slowly stepping toward the fire. I can open my eyes now, she proclaimed. I can see. Well, come closer, invited the fire builder. And so she did. She stepped right into the ring of light. Oh, it's so warm. She extended her hands and sighed as her chill began to pass. Come, everyone, feel the warmth, she invited. Silence, woman, cried one of the cave dwellers. Dare you lead us into your folly? Leave us. Leave us and take your light with you. So she turned to the stranger. Why won't they come? They choose the chill, for though it's cold, it's all they know. They'd rather be cold than change, he said. And live in the dark? Yes, and live in the dark. The now warmed woman stood silent, looking first at the dark, then at the man. Will you leave the fire too? He asked. She paused and answered, I cannot. I cannot bear the cold. And then she spoke again. But nor can I bear the thought of my people in darkness. You don't have to, he responded. Reaching into the fire, he removed a stick. Carry this to your people. Tell them the light is here. The light is warm. Tell them the light is for all who desire it. And so she took the small flame and stepped into the shadows. I have a hunch that some have come tonight because the fire is warm here. You're with friends and you've noticed something in their lives and say that, okay, I'll come tonight. Or with family members or you're visiting. But you sense that glow. And and that's why you love Christmas. You just love it because of that warmth and that feeling. But then you go back into the cold and into the dark for a year and then come a little bit closer to the fire next year. Here's the deal. As the fire builder said, take a step of faith Instead of going on a wild goose chase to be enlightened by false light, come to the true light. Jesus is what Christmas is all about. And He's not a figurehead. He's not a holiday. He's a real person who came, lived, died, rose again from the dead, which means He's alive right now. And you can know personally the light, the warmth, and the meaning and purpose of life as Jesus Christ. Oh yes, that old Christmas story is so true. As Jesus Christ comes into your life and occupies the central throne governing everything. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
We stand here on the threshold of Christmas. This is the eve of that holiday that is celebrated literally around the world. And here we are, in the warmth of fellowship, crowded into this building and another to the north of us. But Lord, we've come for different reasons, but we've come from different places, but we've come with different needs, but we've come and all of us basically have one great need to know that we're loved, to know that we're forgiven and accepted by a loving but righteous, holy God who loved us enough, as Jesus said, to send His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. We also know, Lord, that not all will come. Many will reject because so many love darkness rather than light. At the same time, some will. Some will come. Some will be drawn and attracted by you, by your nature, by your character. And so as you shine this season, may many more who are here tonight receive the Savior. And as we're praying right now, if you have never consciously received Christ on a personal level as your Lord and Savior, but you want to today, tonight. And by the way, the best Christmas gift you could ever give to God is you. He wants you. He loves you. If you want to know the true experience of Christmas, you receive Christ into your heart. Ask Him to forgive your sins and you'll have a brand new start. But you must choose to do so. We're not going to cajole you into it or force you into it. God wants your choice. And if you're willing to do that, I'm going to pray with you. I'd like you just to stand to your feet if you want to receive Christ Just stand right up to your feet. As everybody's seated around you praying for you, stand up and say, Skip, here I am. Pray for me. I'm going to make a stand for Christ tonight. Just stand up. God bless you. Maybe you did it as a child. It's such a distant memory for you. You know, Jesus died for you publicly on the cross. And what He's asking you to do is to live for Him publicly. And so who will stand to their feet and join me right now and just say, Skip, I'm going to make a stand right now for Christ. I'm going to receive Him as my Savior and my Lord. I'm going to ask Him to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I want to walk with Him. Stand to your feet. And I'll lead you in a prayer in just a moment. If you're along the side, you may want to just raise your hand and you're saying, Skip, I'm here. Pray for me tonight. God bless you guys. So many of you. So many of you. Right on. God bless you. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for all of those who are making that very crucial life decision to make Jesus Christ Master and Lord. Some have stood, some have raised a hand. It's an indication that the light, Christ, is good, is true, is authentic, 
And they want to know that you will embrace them, forgive them, and grant them eternal life. We pray that these lives would change and Christmas would never be the same ever again for them. Those, we pray, that have broken hearts, mend and heal, Lord. Restore hope. Grant hope. In Jesus' name.